0: Going through the Book of John, which is a book in the Bible that's written by one of Jesus' uh, really close friends. I've said this before, but he's um, when Jesus was on the cross. Uh, he looked at John and told John to take care of his mom, and so this is a really special friend of Jesus, and Jesus says, or rather, sorry, John says that he writes this book because he wants us to experience the life that he had with Jesus. He writes it because he wants us to to be able to know Jesus like he knew Jesus and experience the kind of life with Jesus that Jesus came to bring, and so that's, that's why John writes this book, and that's why we're taking a look at this book, because I think that... Um, it's, it's one of the most important questions that we can ask, is who is Jesus, and then how does that relate to our, how does it relate to our lives? And so this is what we've been looking at. We are in um, chapter 12, we're a little, ha- little more than halfway uh, through the book, and um, I don't know if you guys have, I was thinking about this as it relates to this chapter, but I don't know if you guys have seen the movie uh, Creed, which is uh, the newest Rocky movie, came out uh, last year, and uh, it's like Rocky number 17, I think. Um, <laughs> So I actually own all five of the original Rockies, and I like them, and a lot of people don't like all of them, but I, I like them. And then they came out with another one, and then they came out with this one, and um, I think Sylvester Stallone's like 99 or something like that, but he still can box and still can train people to box. But in the movie, there's a scene that's kind of the, and if you haven't seen it, it's okay, I'm not going to give it away, because if you've seen any sports movie, you know that something like this is going to happen, okay? But he's in the ring. This is Creed. Creed is in the ring, and it's kind of the big fight that's, that's supposed to happen, and he's just getting getting totally destroyed right like every sports movie first they start to lose okay so he's getting totally destroyed and rocky says i'm gonna I'm, rocky's his coach and he's in the corner he says i'm gonna i'm gonna stop the fight i'm gonna end it like it's it's over because his creed is getting all bloody and messy and and i don't think he's crying but i would be but he's just kind of destroyed right and rocky says i'm ending it it's over and he goes no don't and he says, don't do it and he goes why and he goes because i i have to prove it and he says prove what and he says, prove that, that I'm not a mistake. And that's kind of like the, the pinnacle of the movie. It's the line that you're supposed to cry at, and, it's, and most sports movies have some kind of line like that. Rocky even, actually, in the first Rocky movie, um, the, the original Rocky movie, Rocky says something really similar. He says that he's going to fight, and he's got to be able to prove that he's not a bum. And he says it in his, you know, so, I'm, i am I got to prove I'm not a bum, you know, or whatever. However you, <laughs> that's... I'm really getting good at my celebrity impersonations. I did Denzel Washington on Easter. If you missed it, I'm doing Rocky. So anyways, I'm, I'm working on it. Um, so that's, that's what he says, right? But that's, that, that always resonates in any sports movie because there's this feeling that, that we all have that we don't want to be a bum or that we, we want to prove that we're not a mistake or we want to prove that we matter. We want to prove that we're not a failure. We want to prove that that, that we actually exist for some sort of reason, and, that, and we're not just kind of worthless. That's, that's something that we all carry around, that we don't want to be failures. We want to have some sort of success, that we don't want to uh, just be a bum or be a mistake, that, that we want to know that our life actually matters in some way. That's, it, these sports movies kind of resonate with us because that's a feeling that, that we all carry with us. We don't want to be a loser, right? Right? None of us want to be a loser. We don't want to feel like a loser. We don't want to, in actuality, be a loser at something. We don't want to be like that. We don't want to feel like that. And there's the thing itself, like you don't want to lose at boxing, or you, don't want, to, you, you want to make sure that you succeed at work or in a relationship, or there's the thing itself that you want to succeed at and not fail at. But then there's also the experience of being seen as not a loser or not a failure. Because all of us want to succeed or to not be a bum. To, I mean, it's just the reverse, right? To succeed or to not fail. We want that thing itself and whatever it is for you. It might just be, man, I, I, wanna, I want to look at my life and know that it's a good life or it might, be, uh, it might be with work or it might be with relationships. But it's not just the thing. It's also we want to be seen in that way. I mean, that's why there's trophies, and that's why there's rings, and that's why there's celebrations. And it's not just that we don't want to fail. We don't want to be seen as a failure. It's not that big of a deal if you kind of fail in private. You don't want to fail. You don't want to be a bum. You want to succeed and want to be seen in that way. And we carry that around. But what happens if we do fail? Because I've failed at things, a lot of things, and I'm sure some of you have failed at things. What what if we actually, I mean, you know, the... I'm not going to give away the movie, but you know, he says to Rocky, I got to prove it. I got to prove I'm not a mistake. But what if then he just kind of like totally embarrassed himself and the guy just punches him, and he flies out of the ring and would, I mean, and Rocky goes, Oh, well, I guess you're a mistake. I mean, what, but in real life, we know that doesn't happen in sports movies and the movie just ends. Creed was a mistake, right? I mean, that never happens. But in real life, the thing that we want to, man, I've got to prove it. I've got to, I've got to know that I'm okay. I've got to know that a lot of times we do fail at, right? Or, or what if we succeed, but then success isn't enough? Because that happens all the time. I mean, you can pretty much any celebrity. I know I, I ran across a quote by Tom Brady, who a while ago, after he had won a couple Super Bowls and everything, said, "Man, I've won. I've gotten to the top." And he was in his twenties at the point. But was like, "Man, it, like what? I, I, I've succeeded. I've reached the top, but it still is not." I'm still anxious. It's still not enough. I still don't know if I've proved myself. So, I mean, what if we fail? What if we, I mean, you know, Creed in the ring is trying to put it all on the line and be like, man, I got to make sure I'm not a mistake. But what if we do fail in real life? Or what if we succeed and it's not enough? I mean, what do we do? Because we all want, we all want to know that we're not a loser, that we're not a failure. We all want to have success in whatever the particular thing is that we want it in. We all want that, but Jesus, and we'll look at this in this chapter, Jesus redefines what this is all about. See, when we look at this, we'll see this. These are really important questions. It's really important things that we desire, and and the desire for success or the desire not to fail, that doesn't go away. It doesn't go away. You can't just kind of shut that out. You can't just kind of push it away. It It doesn't go away. It's actually really important to have success. It's actually really important not to be a failure, to feel like a failure. But Jesus redefines, Jesus changes how we think about that. And that's what we are looking at tonight. We're looking at this question. How does Jesus redefine success? Because it is important, and the question doesn't go away for our souls. It doesn't. We can't just push it away. It is important. But how does Jesus redefine it? So if you want to open up the Bible to... John chapter 12, or throw it in your phone. If you don't have a Bible, you can have the one that's in front of you. But but this is what we're going to look at. How does Jesus redefine success? Six days before the Passover, that's a festival, a feast that the Jewish people celebrate, Jesus, therefore, came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. That's what we looked at last week, that one of Jesus' close friends, this man named Lazarus, Jesus raises him from the dead. So they gave a dinner for Jesus. So they gave a dinner for him there, which I guess is what you do if someone raises you from the dead. It's kind of the least you can do. Hey, let's have a party for you. Thank you. How's life, Lazarus? It's great again. I'm getting used to it. So Martha, served <laughs> that's my own commentary. Martha served... And Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at the table. They would kind of sit at table. I'm not going to show you, but they would kind of sit at tables laying down. And Mary, therefore, this is Lazarus' sister, took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard, and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. So she takes this very expensive bottle of ointment, of perfume. It's basically an essential oil. Actually, I looked it up because I was like, what is nard? And it's an essential oil. But um, back then, very, very expensive. And she pours it on him and is anointing him, and and it's, it's a beautiful thing. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of Jesus' disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? Okay, so this bottle of perfume was worth, in our day, it was worth a, like $40,000, $50,000. It was a whole year's wages. So very expensive. I mean, you're talking like, if you, if you have a friend come over and, I mean, if you have this, then invite me. But you break out like the bottle of wine that is, I mean, just crazy, crazy expensive. This is, what, this is what she does. And Judas says, hey, we could have sold that. We could have given that to the poor. But he's, he's not really interested in the poor. He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief, and having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. So he was kind of the treasurer. He was in charge of the money that they would collect. Jesus said, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. So Jesus is saying, look, she did this. It's a beautiful thing. And he mentions, and Jesus is continually mentioning that his death is coming. And he says, she's thinking about, or let her keep this for my burial. When the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came, not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So people had kind of gotten wind that Lazarus had raised from the dead, and so people know Jesus is there, they know Lazarus is there, and there's this big crowd. So the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well, because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. So these people don't like Jesus, the religious leaders, they don't like Jesus, because people are starting to follow him. Lazarus dies and resurrects, or Jesus brings him back to life. And they go, man, this guy came back to life. What do we do? Uh, let's kill him. Okay? I mean, that, to me, that seems weird. It's like, well, what if he raises back to life again? And let's kill him again. So they, they, they're upset because crowds are following Jesus. And this is, this, is, this is reaching this point where Jesus is amassing kind of this large following because he raises a man from the dead. He had done other things. He'd healed blind people, he had taught things, and some people were interested, but raising a man from the dead really gets people interested, and it really starts to get the attention of the religious leaders that don't like him. And so this is kind of what's beginning to happen. The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. So these people think of this uh, scripture, one of the prophecies in the Old Testament, they think of this, and they're treating Jesus as a king. They're saying, this is the king. And they're hoping, as they've been hoping all along, that if Jesus is the Messiah, the Savior, that what he will do is defeat Rome. He'll liberate them. He'll bring this, this freedom for their nation, for them as a people. And so they see him and they say, this is, he's coming in the name of the Lord. He's the king. And Jesus rides a donkey through this big celebration. They're getting upset, they're getting jealous, they're afraid because all of the, uh, several of the people, crowds and crowds of people are starting to be interested in Jesus. Now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. And that doesn't necessarily mean from Greece, it just means non-Jewish people. So these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew... Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus, and Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. So here, we'll come back to the rest of the chapter in a minute. But but we begin to see how Jesus redefines success. Here's what's happening okay? All, this is the 12th chapter into the book of John telling kind of Jesus' life. And everything is kind of built up to this point where you see now crowds and crowds following Jesus. You see the religious leaders getting more and more upset, wanting to put Jesus to death, wanting also now to put Lazarus to death. You see that it's kind of, if this is Jesus' career, if you're just thinking about it that way, this is kind of the height. This is the pinnacle of his career where people are actually saying, he's a king. and And other people, the The fact that the the Greek people were interested in Jesus and saying, man, we want to know about Jesus. It's starting to say that other nations and other people, basically Jesus is starting to go viral, if you think about it that way. That it's catching on, not just these couple little cities and couple little villages, but more and more people are starting to hear about him. This is kind of the top of the career. This This is the point that you would imagine that what Jesus would do is say, okay, here we go. I'm the king. I'm taking over. It's the point that he is reaching the top now. This is what's happening. Everything's kind of building up to this moment. And how does Jesus enter? If you think about when people are about to reach the top, or when people are getting celebrated, or when there's some victory, or when you're reaching the top of your popularity, or if you were a new king that was about to get established, how would you make your entrance. And what the people would have expected is something like this. This is just kind of a, a representation of what they would have been used to seeing. And these are Romans coming in on all of these beautiful horses and holding their you know, emblem high and marching in. This is what they would have expected to see is something like this. Or in our day, we, this is a, a scene from a presidential inauguration, the day that the president is finally now kind of uh you know crowned that there's this big processional there's the flags flying high and and he's coming in glory or if you think about even just uh, the broncos parade that just happened here right i think they estimated about a million people coming in on a fire truck and raised up high and i mean it's it's this it's this moment when you're at the very top the moment that you're at the very top How do you enter in? If you think about the red carpet or you think about all of that, but what does Jesus do? He comes in on a donkey. I don't know if you've ever seen a donkey. They're kind of stupid looking, right? Sorry if you're a donkey farmer. We don't get a lot of those, but if you are, I apologize. It's stupid. He's not coming in in a limo. He's not coming in on this big horse and holding the emblem high. He's riding in on a donkey. And the disciples don't get it. It says they, they don't understand. They look at it and they don't, they don't get what he's doing. Because Jesus is saying he's a different kind of king. He's coming in on a donkey. I mean, that's, so that would be like if the president came in on like a 91 Honda Civic or something in his inauguration. And we'd be like, what is going on? You know, if the Broncos parade, if, if, he, if Peyton was like riding a tricycle or something, you'd be like, what is this? It'd be very odd, right? Jesus isn't coming in glory. He's coming in humility. He's coming in on a donkey. And they don't get it because what we're used to, what they're used to, what the disciples are used to, and as they think of him is, here comes the king. And, and what we think of when we think of success, we think of our definitions of pomp and circumstance and glory and someone drawing all the attention to themselves. That's what we think of when we think of success. And disciples don't get it. They don't understand because they're not used to that kind of success. So, so what is Jesus saying? How is it that he is redefining success? Well, he also says, even as, even as the, his, his uh, disciples say, hey, look, there's some people, some Greeks that are interested in you, which would be kind of like, man, You're you're getting popular. What Jesus says is this He says, unless a a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it doesn't bear any fruit. But if it falls into the ground, then much fruit comes. And here's what Jesus is saying. Here's how he's redefining success. He says, You know what true success is? It's not in what you gain. You know what true success is? It's not in, in your name being made amazing. It's not in your status reaching the top. It's not in your image being seen and paraded. True success is humility. True success is not in what you get. It's in what you give. True success is not in reaching the top, but in going to the bottom and serving. So what Jesus says is a grain of wheat has to die. It's got to be buried. That's success. Because when that happens, fruit, uh, you know, plants come out of it. Wheat comes out of it. Jesus redefined success in saying it's not about someone's image being made great. It's not about some status being achieved. It's not about what someone gains. It's about what someone actually gives. It's about how they serve. That's very different. I mean, I think most of us kind of get on board with that and go, yeah, that's, that's great. That's inspirational. But our whole world is geared towards what success is, is in the degrees that you earn or in the positions that you reach or the titles that you get or the awards that you have or the, the letters in front of or after your name. What success is, is in what you can accomplish, what you can get. And Jesus says, no, it's in what you give. And Jesus says death, I mean, to the point of death. Jesus redefines success in saying success is not about what you gain or what you achieve or what you accomplish, but rather in what you give and what you contribute. That's a very different, different definition of success. It's not in how we're seen, and how it's, but in how we serve. So what, is this, what does this mean for how we live? Because Jesus then takes this principle and broadens it to his followers. So Jesus is talking about his own life and his own death, that they expect him to kind of be this king that's going to take over. They expect him to be a king that would ride in in the limo. That's what they expect. But he comes in on a donkey and redefines what true success is. But then he broadens that and says, let me tell you what this means for those of you that want to follow me. And he says this in the next verse, whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. So what does this mean for how we live? Here's what Jesus says. Okay, you want to you wanna follow me? Some of you in this room uh, you're Christians. Some of you are not, and that's great. We love having you, and it's this is what Jesus means when he talks about following him. But those of you that are Christians, we say we want to follow Jesus. We want to go where we we want to, we want to go where He'll take us. And here's what Jesus says: You want to follow me? You have to go where I'm going to go. If you want to follow me, whoever would follow me has to go where I go. So that's what it means to follow somebody, right? Jesus says, if you want to follow me. You have to walk the same way that I'm going to walk. And he doesn't come in on the donkey. I mean, he doesn't come in on the horse. He doesn't come in in the, the big triumphal procession. He comes in on a donkey. She says, if you want to follow me, it's not going to look like I'm in the limo and you're following me celebrating. If you want to follow me, it's going to look like you're following a guy on a donkey. It's going to look foolish even. If you want to follow me, you know what it's going to look like? It's going to look like Death. Jesus says that whoever loves his life, whoever loves his life will lose it. Isn't that an interesting statement? Whoever loves his life will lose it. Whoever loves his life loses it. I mean, do we believe that? If you love your life, you will lose it. What does that mean? What is, what is Jesus talking about? I mean, we see that in, his, in, in himself, right? You see it in him because he's saying, Here, here's, what it, here's what real success is. I'm giving away my life. I'm serving. But do we believe that? Because what Jesus is saying is this. If our focus, if we love our life, if our focus is on me, if it's on what I can get, if it's on how I can build my life for me and what I want, then we lose. Then if our focus in our life is, I love my life, I'm trying to keep my life for me and how I want it to be, then we actually, what I, here's what's crazy. The very thing that we fear, being a failure or being a mistake or not mattering, actually comes true. The very thing that we fear, because we fear, man, I don't want to be a failure. I don't want to be a mistake. I don't, I don't want to be a, a, a failure and a loser at life. I don't want that. I want my life to be everything I want it to be. I want to build my life for here. I want it to be great. I want to be great. I want to be seen as great. The very thing that we fear actually comes true, Jesus says, that if you love your life and you're trying to build your life For you, you actually lose, he says. That's a scary thing, right? That's what Jesus says. He says that whoever loves his life loses it. Whoever loves his life loses it. Whoever tries to keep his life loses it. So, what does it mean to lose your life then? Because Jesus said, whoever loves it, loses it, but whoever loses it, finds it. Whoever hates his life, whoever hates his life, finds it here. What does that mean? Well, it means what we see in Jesus. What it means to hate your life or to lose your life in this world. What that means is at the deepest level, you're not making it about you. At the deepest level, your life is not about you. What it means to say, man, I hate my life, doesn't mean you really look at your life and go, I hate myself. That's not what Jesus is talking about. It means that at the deepest level, your life is not about you. What it means is at the deepest level, you're willing to say, I'm not trying to make myself something. I'm not trying to be great and prove myself. I'm not trying to do that anymore. You know what I'm trying to do? I'm trying to use my life to serve others. Whoever loves his life will actually lose it. But whoever hates his life, whoever says at the deepest core of my being, my life is not about me actually finds it, Jesus says. And here's what this means. Most people that I know look at their life and say, I don't want, most people I know, and I know there's people not like this, but most people I know aren't 100% selfish. Okay, most people are not like that. Um, Most people want to have some component of their life that is, I'm serving other people. I'm being generous, I'm being nice in some way. Most people want that, right? In some way. And then, the core though is still, but life is really about me. It's about my goals and about what I wanna do with my life and and it's about me not wanting to be a bum or be a failure, it's about me wanting to not be a mistake, it's about me wanting to have success and whatever it might be. And yes, I do wanna serve other people. Jesus is saying, no, that's not what it is, it's what's at the core. This isn't an extra. He's saying that somebody actually lives to such an extent that it looks like they hate their life because they've completely given it up. It looks like they've lost their life because they've completely said, it's not mine anymore. And that's a lot different from, hey, you should serve a little bit, right? That's a lot more intrusive. That's a lot more challenging. And Jesus says this. That's what he says. He says, He said, whoever loves his life and says, this is my life, and I love it, and I want it to be great, and I want it to matter, and I want, I want to mean something, and I I want to be seen as successful and not, you lose it. But whoever hates his life actually finds it. But you know what he says? He says, whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. And when he's talking about himself, he says a grain of wheat has to die. You know what this means? It means that it hurts. Other other places, Jesus says this same teaching, and he says that once we die, we actually live, and if we try to live, we actually die. But you know what that means? It means that actually, you actually experience a form of death, right? There's actually a loss that is felt. I mean, to say whoever loses his life actually finds it, what that means, though, is you experience a loss. There is a death that you experience, a death to your time. Say, man, if, my, if, if I could make my time to be everything that I just want to build my time for exactly what I want it to be used on, that wouldn't feel like death at all. That would feel great. But if you say, man, my life is not my own. It doesn't belong to me. Then you'll experience some death in your time. And if you said, man, you know what I want? I want my life to be. I love my life. I want it to be everything I want it to be. And so I want all my money to go towards loving me. That would feel great. Jesus says, if you lose your life, you'll experience a death to your money, to your time, to your goals, maybe even to your reputation, There's an actual death that takes place. It isn't just follow me and everything will be great. It's there's a death that leads to life. Or there's a pursuit of life that actually leads to death. What are you you afraid of losing? Because when Jesus invites us to follow him, he says, "Whoever, whoever wants to follow me has to go where I go you know what that means? It means you have to lose your life. What are you afraid of losing? Let's not just take life as a big, broad thing. What are you afraid of losing? When Jesus invites us to follow him, what, what fears come up in you of, what but I might lose this. I might lose what they think of me. I might lose time that I want to have. I might lose. What are you afraid to lose out on? Because what Jesus says that it means for our life to follow him is there's a death to saying life is for me, about me, and at the fundamental core is life is not mine anymore. I give it to him. It's all his. It's his life now. It's absolutely his. And so he does what he wants with it. He does what he wants with every part of it. It's all belonging to him now. And we experience a death, When we do that, what are you afraid to lose? Where is it hard to obey him or to serve or to give or to speak because of what we're afraid to lose? Where's that hard? Because Jesus says it will feel like death. You know what it means to follow Jesus? It doesn't mean that we follow him when we agree. It doesn't mean we follow him when we go, that's really good advice, I think I'll take it. It means we say, no, my life is totally yours. The parts that I agree with and don't agree with. The parts that I find comfortable and the parts I find uncomfortable. All of it. Sometimes I think we can treat Jesus as somebody that's a a good advice giver. So we say, I like that, man, that's really good, Jesus, thanks. I'll take that one. Ooh, but that one, no thanks. Thanks. But Jesus says, you know what it means for how you live? It means your life isn't your own anymore, and you totally give it away to him. And that what success is, is not about us getting something, but rather us giving something. It's a very different definition, but Jesus also says that we gain something. He doesn't just say, hey, you lose out, and that's what it's like with me. You lose everything and die. That's not what he says, right? He says, if you lose your life, you actually keep it. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there my servant will also be. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. So Jesus says, yeah, you die, but you experience life as it really is. Yeah, you lose, but you actually find life for what it really is. And the things that he says that we gain are beautiful. He says, you know, you know what you'll gain if you follow me? He says, where my servant is, that's where I am. I think that's amazing. Because what it means is, man, when we say, my life isn't mine, I'm going to go where you go, Jesus, we actually experience his presence. Sometimes we can feel like, I don't, man, I don't feel God's presence, but we're not going where he's going. And Jesus says, man, if you go where I go, if you follow me to where I go, you will die to this. But you'll experience life with me. You'll know my presence in ways that you wouldn't over there. And he also says there'll be fruit for Jesus when he says the wheat goes into the ground, but then fruit comes. And I love talking with people sometimes and they say, I gave away my Saturday to help somebody, or I gave away money to help somebody. But they feel the blessing of going, but I see the fruit. I see that I was able, I mean, obviously Jesus, it's, it's way more extreme in what his death did for us, but in our life, we get to die, but experience the fruit of, man, I was able to be a part of that in this person's life. You know, as a new church, we have people that are really all across the country, churches and individuals that help us financially. And I'll, I'll write a thank you letter or something to them saying, hey, thank you so much for helping us do this. And some people will often say, no, don't thank me. Thank you for letting us be a part of that because we get to see the fruit. Thank you. And that's, that really is the mindset that we should have of, man, I, if I go where Jesus goes, yeah, there's death that happens. I lose these things but I experience fruit. I experience his presence. And then you know what else he says that I love? He says the Father will honor him. That's, man, that's kind of a hard verse for me to understand of God looking at me or looking at us and honoring us. We don't usually think about it that way. If the Father would look at us and go, man, I delight and what you're doing. I mean, that's beautiful. What more could we ever even want? I mean, so many of us, what we've always wanted is our dad or our mom to say, I'm proud of you. And I talk to adults all the time and that are even late into life that go, all I ever wanted was my dad to say, I am proud of you. And Jesus says this. You know what happens when you, when you die to yourself? You know what you actually gain? The father honoring you and just going, man, I know what you gave away, but over here, I honor you and delight in what you're doing. That's a beautiful thing. That's something that we all long for and all crave. So Jesus says, here's what it means. If the definition of success is not what you gain, but what you give, if the definition of success is not in how you are seen and some status that you're able to have and be great and prove that you matter and that you're not a mistake, if that's not the definition of success, if the definition of success is rather in totally giving your life away, then what it means for us is that we live our life saying, it doesn't belong to me, it belongs to you. And so every decision I make isn't about me. My goals aren't about me. My time's not about me. My money's not about me. My thought life even isn't about me. It's about going Jesus it's all yours. And Jesus says we gain honor and we gain his presence. We gain life. What if we live like that? And what if we live like that? We see what what happened with Jesus, obviously, on this cosmic scale of him living like that. But what if our lives actually lived like that? What would happen if we actually said, my life isn't about me? I'm going to live to serve other people. I'm going to follow the donkey instead of the limo. Man, what would happen? And you know what else? Wouldn't that be freeing? Because I know in my life, I've lived under the umbrella before of I've got to prove myself like Creed. I mean, it's great in sports movies, because they always come out on top. But to actually, I mean, what if you actually had to live like Creed, where you were fighting to know that you weren't a mistake? I mean, he's, he's got to do something, whether he's got to win, or in the first Rocky, go the distance, or you got to do something. But isn't it freeing to go, man, what if the definition of success is totally changed? What if the definition of success is changed and it's not about some thing that you have to reach, but it's rather just in going, man, I serve. Anyone can do that. The most failed person of us can serve and say, my life isn't my own, I'm just serving. My life isn't my own, it belongs to him and I'm gonna serve others. To me, that's a freeing thing if the total definition of success is changed. But, But what makes this hard? What makes it hard? Because it's it's not easy to have the definition of success changed. It's not easy to say, I'm not going to live for my name being important. That's not easy. What makes it hard? Here's the next part. And there'll be a bunch of stuff in here. I'm going to focus in on one particular part. It says this, though he had done, and I'm actually skipping ahead. Sorry if you are following along in your Bible. I'm skipping ahead and I'm going to come back to the next part. Okay, so this is, Uh, it's a later verse, okay, so just read it up here. Though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him. So it's saying Jesus did all these things, but people still didn't get it. They still didn't believe. So that the words spoken by the prophet Isaiah, so he's quoting some Old Testament now, might be fulfilled. Lord, who has believed what he heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore, they could not believe. So Isaiah was prophesying that there would be people that wouldn't believe, even though all the things they'd seen. For again, Isaiah said, he has talking about God, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. And Isaiah is actually prophesying that when people are so resistant to see God, when they're so resistant to see God's glory, that their hearts become hard and God allows that to then happen. It's a scary thing. Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory, he saw Jesus' glory, and spoke of him. Nevertheless, many even of the authorities believed in him. So it says some of them did believe in him. Some of the authorities, the religious leaders, did believe in Jesus. But for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. the word that i have spoken will judge him on the last day for i have not spoken on my own authority but the father who sent me has himself given me a commandment what to say and what to speak and i know that his commandment is eternal life what i say therefore i say as the father has told me here's what this is saying of what makes this hard jesus is appealing to people he's saying believe in me i've come to call you out of darkness And he even says that the words that I, I, I'm not going to judge you, he says. He's saying, but there is a judge. The words I've spoken will judge you. And what he means is I'm not coming here right now. I'm not coming to this earth in this particular time, in this particular moment to bring judgment. I want to save you. I want to bring you out of darkness. I want to bring you into the light. But what will judge you is all the words I've spoken All the words I've spoken, if you haven't believed them, will be your judge. But what makes it hard to believe? Why were these people not able to believe? And you know what it says? It says they love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. It says that even those that kind of believed, even those that believed a little bit, wouldn't speak out about it. Why? Because they were afraid of being... Rejected. They were afraid of how they'd be seen. They were afraid that they wouldn't be accepted by their peers, by the others around them. So, you know what makes it hard? You know what makes it hard for us to follow Jesus? You know what makes it hard for us to follow somebody that says the definition of success is giving your life away, it's serving. You know what makes it hard for us to follow that it's not just the fact that we don't get success it's that we are associated then with failure by others because it's not just that we want to be successful it's that we want to be seen in that way it's not just it's not just that we want to to matter and reach the top it's that we want others to see that we're not a loser to see that we're not a failure And that's what kept these people from believing. They feared being rejected and outcast and seen as losers. They feared that like we do. They feared being associated with somebody that comes on a donkey. They feared being associated with someone that didn't have all the marks of success. They feared being rejected by others And they loved the glory and the praise that comes from people more than they did that that comes from God. What makes it hard for us to have our definition of success changed is not just that we want success, although that's a part of it. It's that we want to be seen in that way. We don't want others to look and go, that's how you live your life. That's not successful. That's how you live your life. That's how you spend your time. That's how you spend your money. That's who you hang out with. That's that's not successful. It's not just that we want success. It's that we want to be seen as that by others. We don't want to be seen as someone that is a loser or associated with that. And so it makes it hard to then follow someone that says, yeah, the definition of success is failure. I'm gonna show you my greatest glory and die. I don't know if I wanna be associated with that. See, because if we follow Jesus into where he leads, if we follow him where he goes, our life to many people will not look like a success. If we follow Jesus where he takes us, where he goes, our life, our choices, and maybe I'm sure many of you have had people challenge you on things, it will not look like success to many people. Now I'm not saying Christianity produces a bunch of people that lose at everything. The Christians are the worst at sports. Isn't that awesome? I'm not saying that. I'm saying that the definition is change, though. The definition of success is in giving, it's in serving, it's in humility. And last thing, back to the verses I skipped. How, how can we change then? Because this is ingrained in us and the whole world around us encourages a particular definition of success. It's how we were raised. It's what we crave. It's what's inside of us. The movies that we love help us to go, yes! So how, how can we change? And the way we change isn't just by saying, okay, so I'm gonna stop wanting success in that way. I'm gonna stop wanting to to have my name be great. I'm going to stop wanting that. I'm going to stop caring what other people think. That's that's not how we change. How How do we change? And let's look at this last part of what Jesus says. Jesus is about to go to the cross, and here's what he says. Now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, but for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and will glorify it again. The crowd that stood there and heard it said that it had thundered. It's an interesting thunder. Others said, an angel has spoken to him. And Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. He's referring to Satan there. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. Because on the cross he was lifted up. So the crowd answered him, We have heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? It doesn't make sense to them, again, that that this king would say he's going to die. So Jesus said to them, The light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. He's saying, while I'm here with you, believe me while I'm here, while you have me. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of light. When Jesus had said these things, he departed and hid himself from them. So how can we change? Here's, here's what I want to just end with. We long for success or long for not being a loser, not being a failure, not not feeling like we're a disappointment to somebody, whether that's our parents or whether that's the people that have criticized us, the haters and the the people that have just said, you can't do it. We, We long to feel like we've overcome that and we're not a mistake and we are successful. We long for that. That's what we long for in our souls. And Jesus shows us a different way to find success, a more freeing way. The way is this, he gives it to us rather than us having to get it. I love this verse when it says that Jesus was troubled in his soul. We don't often think about Jesus like that says Jesus is deeply troubled, and he says, man, should I back out of this? Should I pray, God save me from this? I mean, have you ever been troubled, anxious, pit in your stomach about something that you had to do that you knew was hard? And Jesus says he is deeply troubled, but he goes through with it. And there's another part in the Bible where Jesus is in the garden and he's praying and he actually asks God, God, if there's any other way, would you let there be another way? Because it was going to be immensely hard physically, emotionally, spiritually, the separation from God. But he does it. Why? Because he wants to draw us to himself, he says. Or what he says says, in the verse about the light, is he says he does this all so that we would become sons. That we would be adopted into his family. What we long for is to know, man, I matter. I'm not a mistake. What we long for is this verdict on our life that we have value. That we're not a failure. And so we pursue it and we try to earn it and we build our lives for that. But you know what Jesus says? He says that we don't have to do any of that because he did something instead. That he calls us sons if we're attached to him. That he says the Father honors us if we're attached to him. That he says, I, I'm going to go through hell. Why? To draw you to me. I want you, I want you as mine. Man, if we believe that in our souls, we don't need to then go look for that somewhere else. If Creed knew, if we know that Jesus has said, I want you, we don't have to fight so hard to not be a mistake. It changes the identity and the pursuit of that. And it changes the very definition of what success is, because it doesn't have to be some great results that we achieve. It's in serving other people. However great and however big that is, doesn't matter. It's in being faithful to God. It's in obeying God. It's in saying, my life is yours, instead of saying, my life is mine. It's a very different definition. Jesus says, we have everything. And because he gave us his life, we can trust him when we give him our life. And when we take communion, that's what we remember, that Jesus' body was broken and his blood was shed, that he gave us his life, the very thing he's calling us to do. Jesus said, I lay down my life, and I'm asking you to give me your life and entrust me with it. And you'll die, but you'll experience life as it really is meant. You'll lose, but you'll experience a verdict over your life that I want you and that I've drawn you to me, that you're craving and pursuing in so many other places. That's what the cross shows us. And that's what we believe, and that's why we take communion, and that's why we'll sing right now. And even if you don't believe, I mean, the, the words in these songs are part of just how we teach even if you don't know what you believe about God and Jesus, that's okay, and you don't have to sing, but the words themselves are part of how we continue to show this is what we believe of who Jesus is and what he's done. So would you pray with me, and we'll close our time with a few songs. Father, thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you that you draw us to you. Jesus, thank you that we don't have to pursue mattering we don't have to pursue success in all these other things because the thing that we're trying to get out of success you already give to us you look at us and say you want us you look at us and call us sons and father you even say that you honor us when we go where you take us thank you for that help us to follow you help us to not be afraid of losing our life. I know that that's a scary thing. And yet, Jesus, you call, it, call us to it. So God, I pray that you would get rid of our fear of losing life and help us to trust you since you lost your life for us. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.